You are listening to God the MBA Marketing Beyond Ambition Podcast, Episode 033. Welcome to the Godly MBA Marketing Beyond Ambition. This is the only podcast that will share and teach actionable and biblical marketing strategies to empower you, the value-based business owners and Christian entrepreneurs. Learn to communicate your message effectively in this noisy world so you can finally earn more, serve more, and give more. Now, here is your host, Kelly Botter. Hello, Katie Butler here. Welcome to God the MBA podcast. Today is the last episode before our break. If you wonder what I'm talking about, please go back to episode 032, which is the last one, for the details. In short, we are taking a break in March and really think through what and how we can serve you even better. Have that said, today you are into a treat. Our guest is Emelek Elnuk. I know sounds very special and exotic, right? It's a French name. He is the co-founder of Agora Post, a social media marketing software company launched in 2011 and based in Paris and San Francisco. AgoraPost is currently being used by more than 5,000 businesses across 180 countries. Since 2000, he has been one of the European pioneers in the field of social media marketing. He has advised French and international brands such as Virgin, Fia, and Microsoft. He's a regular speaker at international conferences such as the Facebook Success Summit and Bolo. He's also an accredited instructor at Online Marketing Institute. In this episode, we will learn his personal journey from an attorney in Washington, D.C. to create one of the best social media management companies in the world. Now, let's check with Emelik. Hello, Emelik. It's so, it's my honor. It's so happy that you are here with us. I'm very happy too. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah. Would you please kind of share where you're from and how that your journey from attorney in Washington, D.C. to now become the founder of Agoropos? Well, first, um, I'm a lucky guy because my parents traveled all around the world when I was a kid. They used to live in New York when I was born, and that's why I got the American passport. Uh, then they traveled to Africa, where I lived for six years in different African countries. And, um, and then, you know, even in France, I kept moving from city to city and, and Went back to the U.S. several times when I was a teenager and started my career over there. And I, his blessing and a curse. The curse is that I've never, I never really had roots because I, you know, I have a lot of friends who have lived all their youth somewhere, their childhood and stuff, and they have like all their friends are from there and they feel they're from there. I don't feel I am from anywhere because I've been all over the place. But the blessing is that I feel good anywhere and I have very little barriers to getting in touch with getting to know people from different countries, getting to know different cultures, living in different places, 
and speaking different languages. And that was probably what pushed me to, you know, good reason that pushed me to where I am today, which is having a company in France, but targeting you know, worldwide, any country in the world, and um, being probably more known in the U.S. than I am known in France, where I'm physically from. So that's my journey. Uh, my journey, professionally speaking, is uh, that I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do when I was 18 in high school. At the end of the high school in France, we do an exam that's called a baccalaureate, and uh, that's how you basically finish everything and then start your university. And I really didn't didn't have a clue what I was doing. And it was two months before the baccalaureate. So basically, you know, Emmerich, you got to choose something because you got to go uh, register for some university. You know, what is it? Like medicine, law, commerce, business? What is it? You know, you got you to pick, pick something. Have to pick one. <laughs> pick one for your life. And obviously, my parents who are smart said, yeah, if you don't know, we're going to take you to a, a psychologist, you know, psychotherapist, not therapist, logist who knows about, you know, orientation and can help you at least not decide exactly what you want to do, but what you seem to be good for, good at and made for. So I went to do that, did a lot of IQ testing and stuff. And at the end, she said, wow, you're very, very smart. You need to go do that, you know, very high level French school, uh, which is about political sciences. And I said, well, heard about it on TV. Sounds cool. Uh, What do you need to go there? I didn't, didn't know what it was. And she said, you go to preparatory class, which is basically hell for two years. Or you go to university. I say, okay, university, which one? She said, history or, or law. And I said, history, well, if I fail at that school, uh, the only possibility will be a uh, history teacher. I don't want to be a teacher. So I'll go with law. So I, and I basically, I didn't know which one, the prep school or law. I said, and I, I, I got accepted to both, and I went to both. And for the entire summer, I said, university, prep school, university, prep school. <laughs> 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 it's just to tell you, you know, some people know exactly what they want to do and they go all the way, do what they want to do. And some people don't. And sometimes when they don't, they're afraid or anxious. Oh, God, I don't even know what I want to do. I'm bad. It's bad. No, it's not bad. It happens to a lot of people. And um, I was a Boy Scout at the time. And I went to my Boy Scout camp at the time. And my, the chief, was an, whom I loved, he was a great guy, he told me, oh, Emmerich, don't go to prep school. This is awful. They're going to work like hell, you're going to work your ass off. You're going to not have a life. You'll be in no life for the next two years. I know you're not going to enjoy that. Go to university. So I, you know, after the Boy Scout camp, I came back to my parents and I said, you know, did law school because I don't want to do the prep school. I don't want to, I don't want to have no life for the next two years. My parents were very disappointed because the prep school was their dream for me, but that's what it was. So I studied law out of that decision that came out of thin air. And not very rational, as you can see. And law did, you know, went very well for me. Um, graduated every year, uh, easy with high grades and stuff. Um, got two MBA, two masters. Became a lawyer when I uh, was accepted at the bar school, which has like a five percent acceptance rate. So like, it, it's a tough uh, kind of study, and it went all right. So I said, well, if it goes that right, I must be made for this. And uh, started to work in at the French embassy in Washington D.C. Uh, for a year and a half, and then at a law firm in Washington, D.C., and then went back to Paris for their Paris office. And it all went very, very, very well. It wasn't a very interesting job. It is an interesting job, but I was still young enough to be willing to be excited by my job and to be passionate about the job. And I was lacking that element of passion. And at the time, one thing I knew And it's another funny story about my life. When I was eight, um, my parents took us to a very weird doctor who looks into your eye 
into the iris of your eye, and it's called iridologist, and uh, iridologist, maybe, I don't know, iridolog. And uh, by looking into your eye and your iris and the form and, and the shape and everything, it, it can tell you a lot about who you are. And I was eight, and that guy told my parents, this little kid will never be able to work for anybody. He has to be on his own and own his own job and his own business. Wow. Which made me choose law because in France, when you're a lawyer, you have sort of an independent, usually not an employee, usually a freelance lawyer working for a law firm and being paid the same amount every month, but on a freelance basis. It's kind of special to France. The US don't have that, and I don't think the UK had that either. And so I, I chose that because, you know, you can have your own client and it's okay. Uh, you can invoice, do your own invoice to your own client, make your own little business on the side and it's okay. Usually you have very little time to do that. But the possibility of doing it appealed to me. And uh, so that was one of the reasons of the choice. And then, you know, after a couple of years being successful at the law firm, making a ton of money because um, lawyers make good money when they work for the good firms, I realized that money was not everything. And um, I had that thing inside of me of, you know, picking my own destiny into my own hands and uh, building my own things and feeling the joy of building something, which obviously in, as a lawyer, you're in service, like any service business. If you want to build something, you lack that feeling. You're not building anything. You help others build their own things, but you're not building your own thing. I switched to the, um, creating my first business. That was July of 2000. So it's kind of a long time ago. And, you know, and yeah, had a lot of troubles, a lot of difficulties and, and went through a lot of failures, several, to finally, um, five years ago, start that new social media management software and saw some initial good traction, not huge, still tough and difficult, but after five years, it, it went well and now it's, now we're doing well and, and we're super happy. I've been happy, happy all the way. But I have to say to those who listen, who are in the middle of that, you know, difficult times where you're not profitable, you're investing money, sometimes other people's money, and you're, you're working very, very hard, very, very long hours and stuff, and, and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and you feel bad. Well, I, I've been there and I felt bad for a long time. I uh, couldn't sleep at night, couldn't, you know, my, the, the, my brain kept having IDs popping up about what should I do next to try to get out of this mess because I'm not making money. It's so tough. Uh, so it is tough. It lasts for a certain amount of time. Uh, but eventually, if you're on the right track and doing the right thing, it ends up, you end up seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And um, so for me, that was a long 10-year tunnel. The last two years were pretty good. So that's the, in a nutshell, where, where I'm from, who I am, and why I did. What I made the choices I made. I just love how you share so candidly because... You know, a lot of young people out there, just like you say, that there are some kids. I mean, I have two kids. It's typical, right? So my girl, the 17 years old, she like, she already make up her mind what she want to do, which university she want to apply, uh, which subject she want to study. But then I have a boy, just two, three years difference. But for him, he doesn't know, right? And they are like third culture kid. I'd be like you, uh, they never live in my country or my husband's country, and this is the first time now they live in Switzerland. So they also experience that, you know, kind of floating a little bit. They don't have really root. But I also love that how you share about that, the real challenge when you build business. So since we are on that topic, can I ask, though, what do you do 
when you have those sleepless nights? Well, I didn't do anything of what anybody is saying would tell you to do, like practice sport, exercise, go for a run, empty your mind. I didn't do any of this because I couldn't. I basically did everything you shouldn't be doing, but you're so pushed to do, which is do more, do more, do more, try more, try more, try more, work more, work more, work more. Which, you know, you go to see any coach or any uh, experienced entrepreneur and they will tell you, oh my God, I'm and, and I got a couple of mentors who said, you, you know, start exercising and have a healthy life and do all that stuff that the magazines tell you you should be doing to stay healthy and get the trouble away. But I couldn't. I just couldn't stop trying something to get out of my, ish, my problems, you know, my miserable moments. Is it right? Is it wrong? I don't know. What I can tell you, it's very, very, very hard to fight against this urge to try another thing, to write another email, to get in touch with another blogger, you know, whatever you need to do to get you out of trouble. Uh, it's very, very hard to say, no, no, I'm fine. I'm going to go for a run and things will be okay. I, I could never feel that way. So it, it's okay to exercise. It's actually very good. I should be doing a lot more of this. But I couldn't find that balance. I was overbalanced to doing more and trying more and working harder and, and trying to make it work the longest I could. So it's not a good answer because it's not going to help anybody. Or maybe it will help the people who, are, who like me, <laughs> couldn't help but trying more and everything more and felt overwhelmed by it. But I felt so strongly about making it work that for me that was like the number one priority from a distance, you know, above running, above feeling healthy or eating well. <laughs> but what um, you share is very important, though. It's really helpful is you did not give up. Yeah, yeah. With a caveat, though, not giving up is good to a certain point. There is a point where not giving up is stupid. You should give up now. You know, like, and the problem is, though, that point is impossible to know. You can't know when, that, when you've gone through that point. You can't know when you've tried too long and you should stop trying. So it's something you should constantly ask yourself. And that's funny because many times, you know, after many failures, I said, you know, in the next business, I said, okay, I give myself a year. You know, if, a, if in a year I'm here, it's okay, I'll keep going. If in a year I'm not here, I'll stop. And you know what? Every year I was not there. I was far away from the, the initial risk, but I had something. There, there was some initial traction. It, it was not so bad it was it could be good so okay too bad for my goal from last year i'll assign myself another goal for next year so you know nothing is firm and nothing is fixed uh the idea is just have you know appointments with yourself every now and then and decide okay assign a goal to yourself whether or not you stick with that is not the real issue the real issue is at least after a year look at what you've done and say okay am i happy enough to continue or Am I frustrated enough to stop? So, and that's really the key point. I had a discussion with one of my new team members last week about that because she joined the team and she was, of course, a little bit sad about having quote unquote failed in her own business because she's been trying to create her own business online for the last three or four years. And I told her, I told her, you know, was your own business a fun and a joy? It's something you, you woke up with a smile. Or was it a burden and a pain? And she said it was a burden because it was tough. I was not making the money. I was working my butt off. And after four years, I was at a point where the progress was not you know, sufficient enough to justify continue having the, the awful life I was having for myself, I created for myself. 
So I said then that it's good that you stop that business because, you know, you got to a point, maybe four years was a bit too long, maybe three years would have been better, but whatever, four years is better than 10. And you can now look at that new job with us as a way to learn because you're going to learn with, you know, people who know more than you, who do things better than you. You're going to learn a lot from them and you can leverage that knowledge to start the next one in two or three years, whatever. So everything you do in your life, even if, it's, if you become an employee again for a while, should be seen as an opportunity for the next step, for the next thing. So, Well, right there, it's gold. You know, it's about, I love how you say, you never know when it's a point to stop, but it's ask yourself, say, is that happy enough to continue or frustrated enough, say, that's it, right? That's such a great and much better measurement stick for me, you know. I love the name and meaning of Agora. But I would like you share it. You know, would you mind sharing that uh, what is that word mean, and also what is the mission or vision for your company? Yeah, so we I, I know we discussed about that. You're probably the first person who got the name without talking to me about it and who liked it. Well, a lot of people who talked to me about it liked it when they got the meeting, but before having the meeting, <laughs> they had to understand what Yay, about. I scored it. <laughs> you know, a little story about that too. Uh, we didn't know what name to use, and um, it sounds like how oh, I chose my study. Uh, we went online to a website where you can launch a contest, a name contest. Well, Hootsuite did the same thing, so maybe we're not that stupid. So you can launch a name contest, and you have people, you know, random people proposing names, and you say, like it, don't like it. And as you see the names, and obviously you can put conditions, like there has to be a .com available with that name and that kind of stuff. So we did that, and we had a couple of names. Some of them were very generic, like social something or social or something social. And this one came out, Agora Pulse. And we, because we are European, our DNA is European and our education is European, we've all studied Greek and Latin in school and stuff. So Agora meant something because in ancient Greek, it means that the, it's basically the place where the people gathered in Athens. So it represents the people. It represents the marketplace. It represents the gathering of people. And pulse in English means the pulse. And for us, you know, um, building something that could give you the pulse of your audience, the pulse of the people around you, so their fans, followers, and so on in social media, actually made a lot of sense. So we loved the name. And then we launched it with the name. And we kept having since then comments from native English speakers, especially Americans, who obviously don't study Greek and Latin and massively at school, saying, what's the name? It's hard to pronounce. Does that have any meaning? And so we said, ah, oh, maybe that was not such a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, I keep telling my partner, you know, Apple is a pretty bad brand for a computer company, right? IBM is a pretty bad brand too. What does that mean after all? So, you know, a good brand in terms of naming and logo and, and everything doesn't really mean you're going to be successful or not successful. It's not what matters the most in the end, at the end of the journey. And you can always change it if you really have to at some point and you have enough money and traction to justify this. And what do you see that your company's uh, mission, let's say, in the next couple of years? The development, uh, you know, because I read somewhere there are a couple of articles say, you know, oppressed about that your journey set up this company against the, some, they call companies. it giants uh, in other companies. And that's why I'm really curious to know that, you know, what is your thoughts on that? 
Well, the way I see our mission is very down to earth. The way I see our mission is it has to be linked to things we like doing and we enjoy doing as a team and um, things that correlates with a problem in the market, you know, something the market needs. And I really like to state our mission as we want to help uh, medium businesses and people involved in social media um, with their career. We want to help them do it with more ease and less painfully because we, you know, let's face it, managing social media today is a bit of a pain. It's kind of overwhelming. It's a bit chaotic. It's a bit ah, all over the place. And when you talk to people who are doing this, they're like, oh, my God, you know, I got 270 tweets today. I had to respond to it. Like, it, it feels like, whoo tough. So we want to make that easier, smoother, funnier, uh, more fun. And the second mission is it's also very hard to see value. It's very hard. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. You talk to a lot of people. Uh, you try to be responsive and do all that stuff that we should be doing on social media. And at the end of the day, it's mostly vanity metrics to measure and to, to value your job. So we really want to create an asset value out of this. We want to help people who work on social media feeling good about what they brought in the business, what they brought to the company as an asset, as value. So that's really the mission. And as is for the product and, and for the company, for you know, the bigger mission for the company, we just like to help people. We just like to get users writing us emails or you know, uh, getting back to us after a support chat saying, we love you guys. We love this. We, it's so fun. We love the product. It helps us so much. And this is what makes us feel smiley and good as a team, every one of us. And we share those messages on Slack with all the whole team every time we get them. So our mission is we want more people saying this. We want to help more people and make more people feel that way. So, I mean, every business should have, should have this goal, um, making sure that you make people around you feel great. You know, that's the end mission for us we want to do that as much as we can as many times as we can yeah it's really make your customers really that delightful right yeah yeah and, and think about it if you have everybody who listens to the podcast have customers if you can have more and more and more of them writing to you and say i love you how would you feel you would feel better right yeah and they, they probably feel better too so if you can get more of this and create more of that positive energy around the product and the service you sell you're happy, they're happy, and you know what? As a consequence, you make a living and you make money. It, it, it all goes together. That's correct. Cannot agree more than that. So since we're on that topic, Emmerich, can we talk about, I'm curious, what do you think entrepreneurs' responsibilities in social media? Well, first of all, I think... Entrepreneurs have so many responsibilities, it's, it's hard to impose another one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I asked a I, hard I, question. Yeah, so all my, all my friends are uh, in social media, in online marketing, in the online world. So they're very online and um, they mostly use social media pretty well, I would say, because they're educated about the media. And the way they do it is they are very open, uh, but they're also very respectful of Average people opinion. They rarely talk about political issues. They rarely talk about stuff that could make people even around them, even their friends feel uncomfortable and especially their clients and their audience. And they use it to build their personal brand. And you know, remember, personal brand has personal first. So like, it's also about them, who they are, what they like, who they are as a person. So people can relate to that. What I see from other entrepreneurs who may not be so well aware of those, you know, 
quote unquote rules. There are no rules, but like wait, best practices to use the, the social media is sometimes being a, a little bit not personal enough, like saying a lot about the latest product release they've done, the latest special offer they have, and like be a little bit more old school web, you know, like the 2005, like, hey, special promo, 50% until tonight, 5 p.m. if you subscribe now. And not enough about this is who I am. This is what I love doing. Hey, look at my look at my son with me the last weekend. We had such a great time. I love kite surfing. That's me or sailing. And so people can relate to you on social. And because they relate to you on social, suddenly they want to relate to you on business because it's very intertangled. You can't take you can separate the two and say, oh, no, I don't I don't know anything about this guy. I just want to know about his business. It's not true. So I'd say this, I'd say the responsibility is try to be respectful and open and respectful at the same time. So, or, or clients or prospects. So can you share with us that any funny or if you're waiting, any embarrassed moment in your entrepreneurial journey? Um, that's interesting because it's difficult for me when I look at the journey to see very strong events. It's a lot of very small events adding up to each other. I don't know if you saw the speech of Steve Jobs at Stanford when he talked about connecting the dots in his life and the fact that he studied calligraphy and this and that led him to the Macintosh and all that stuff. And what's pretty interesting is there is no like big event that changes everything for good or for bad. It's always a lot of different dots that when you connect them, then suddenly things change for good or for bad or you make the right decision. So I can't, when I look at the, all these events, there are, you know, a couple of uh, encounters with, with special people who became special people in my life who are important, like became mentors, but they, by themselves, they were not per se totally life changing. It's just the addition of them. Uh, embarrassing moments. I mean, I've had a bazillion of embarrassing moments, especially, especially when you learn and when you don't know anything and you try to get and go ahead and do things. I mean, you do stupid things when you look at yourself I mean, ask anyone they will tell you the same thing especially the one very well known the one that people look at oh my god he's so successful he's so good well he's had it or she's had her embarrassing moments too at some point trust me no question you know embarrassing moments when i was a lawyer and pleading for the first time you know like i uh, remember my map was so dry i couldn't even speak anymore like i, I forgot to take a, a bottle of water with me Right now, I could go ahead and speak for two hours in front of a crowd of 2,000 people. I, I would feel a little bit stressed at the beginning, but if I know what I'm talking about, I wouldn't have any issue. Uh, embarrassing moment. When we started our SaaS company in 2000, you know, there was nothing out there about how to create a SaaS company. Nothing. Today, there are like plenty of literature. You want to learn about that? There are like a bazillion blog posts, a bazillion, you know, podcasts, uh, video, YouTube channel, whatever. It's easy. You can learn from home. You don't even need to go to school. At the time, there was nothing. So we started a SaaS company by doing every mistake, one after the other, you could make in building a SaaS company. So it, is, it was kind of embarrassing, but at the same time, what else could have we done? You know, no, no one else knew, so we had to go and figure it out. I think my life is a succession of embarrassing moments and fun moments, and that what makes life. You know, like you're you're embarrassed by yourself many times. Uh, like every once a week, you're embarrassed by a decision you make that was stupid, uh, something you said that was stupid. Good. It's like it's all little embarrassment and little fun. It's not like big fun and big embarrassment. No, no, <laughs> no. So I think. You know, you're true. It's not either it's your funny moment, embarrassed moment, or I say, you know, the last question or what is a, 
specific uh, maybe a moment you can uh, got the MBA moment we call it that the moment you realize your business is way beyond just a business maybe impact lives you know in a small way in a big way that if any moment you can recall that it yeah. doesn't matter is your clients or is your own employee I would it's probably not a moment, like a day and a time, uh, it's probably a period. It's the period where the business transitioned from being me and my partner and a couple of interns to me, my partner, and not 20 people around us uh, doing things we don't, we don't even know they do anymore because like, you know, you, you, you trust them and they're in charge. It was that moment when I realized that, oh, it's not me and Ben anymore. It's a team. It's an organization. It's, and it's something we've created, we initiated, but now it does not belong to us anymore. It belongs to them. It's, you know, we're, we're all going together. And, and that's the realiza realization that the business eventually is not your baby anymore. It's the baby of a bunch of people who are as passionate about it as you are. And now... When you witness that, you know you, you have something, you know, you, you've done something good. Yeah, basically, you almost like you create an environment for the individual, their talents and gift have place yeah. to uh, blossom. To blossom, absolutely. Yeah, that's, and you feel, and that's something to feel very good about because um, a company cannot grow if it doesn't have a great team and a growing great team. So if you can't, as a founder, as a CEO, if you can create, you know, the necessary environment for this and sustain that, that's how you measure success and how you define success. And that's very pleasing too. I mean, it's human relationship. We all go back to, you know, it's about human relationship. And the first layer of human relationship you have as a founder is your team. So if that is, is great and fun and pleasant and everybody enjoys it, your life, you know, you have the ideal life. I, I, let's put it this way. The ideal life is going to work in the morning and smiling because you know you're going to have a great day with great people you enjoy being with. You know, that's what happiness is in the end. And obviously, yeah, family, kids, and then we're just talking about business today. But happen, if you have that, you're already 60% already happy, right? And then you have to create the personal life you want, you're dreaming of. <laughs> <laughs> well, cannot wrap up better than that. Thank you so much, Emery, for today, your time and so much wisdom and fun and all the values that you have uh, blessed me with and blessed our audience with. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I trust you have enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you are interested in finding an awesome social media management tool, do check the Agora post out at kellybother.com forward slash AP. A for Agora, P for post. So again, it's kellybother.com forward slash AP. For today's show notes, please visit kellybother.com forward slash 033. Thank you so much again for listening to the show, especially for those of you have supported us since August 1st last year. We know you have given us your most valuable treasure, your time, and we don't take it lightly. We truly appreciate it. 
please give us your honest review on iTunes at kellybother.com forward slash review so more people can find this podcast. Remember, you matter. We'll see you hopefully after our March break. Thank you for listening to the Godly MBA podcast. For more actionable marketing tips and strategies and today's show notes, visit www.kellybotter.com.